How much silence can you tolerate in a conversation? And how long can you stay silent when you are with another person before being tempted to speak? My name is Rashmir Subramaniam, and I am the host of The Contemplative Edge. Welcome. Listen and let yourself be drawn into deeper inquiry and wonder. You may come away with a simple state change, a deeper connection to your own wisdom and knowing, or at the very least, some insights about what you think about the topic in question. If you enjoy this podcast, please go ahead and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts or at www.contemplative-edge.com forward slash listen. So far, we've explored the power of silence at a personal level, and to some extent at a universal or cosmic level. Now, there's a school of thought that suggests silence is a relational thing. And so in this episode, we'll explore the power of silence in the context of relationships. We are relational beings, after all, interconnected in ways that we are still coming to understand. So... Is silence relational? What do you think? For me, there is an aspect of silence that is relational. It's not the form, the thing that is silence exactly, but more how we use silence or how we let silence be used. And of course, connected to that is our inner experience of silence in relationships in particular, our relative comfort with silence, and whether our focus tends to be internal or external when we are in silence with others. Let me give you an example of this. It's from when I was an undergraduate. So I remember distinctly seeing a young couple reading books together in the common room. So they were each reading their own books and sitting very happily in silence together, while there was generally a lot of noise and activity and hustle and bustle around them. And yet they were perfectly undisturbed by the level of activity. And it struck me, I think, because it was so unusual to see a couple sitting silently together in such a public, noisy space. And to this day, I'm I'm still struck when I see couples of any age eating out in silence at a restaurant or a cafe. A moment or two of silence, of course, is quite common, but the full length of a meal or a cup of coffee, that's quite rare. As I've observed such couples... I've come to realise that there are very different qualities of silence in relationships. On the one hand, you get the couples where the silence is a sort of habitual sullenness, a default mode of silence, if you like, in which there seems to be an absence of not just verbal but emotional intimacy. I say seem because it's easy to make assumptions about what's going on. 
much harder to know the actual truth of it when it's something you are observing. At the same time, there are other couples that I've observed where there's a richer silence, a deep sense of comfort and non-verbal communication and intimacy happening where words are almost superfluous to the experience and to the moment. This is a kind of silence that I think is incredibly powerful. And when I've been lucky enough to experience it myself with another, there's a deep joy and ease that goes with that kind of silence. Have you experienced that kind of silence in relationships? In episode one of this season on silence, I mentioned Paul Goodman and the nine types of silence that he delineated, many of which are relational silences. Here's a quick reminder. He said, there is the dumb silence of slumber or apathy, the sober silence that goes with a solemn animal face, the fertile silence of awareness, the alive silence of alert perception, the musical silence that accompanies absorbed activity, the silence of listening to another speak, the noisy silence of resentment and self-recrimination, baffled silence, and the silence of peaceful accord with other persons or communion with the cosmos. It's a good list, And I don't believe it's a complete list. I would add awkward silence, vulnerable silence, thoughtful silence, the kind of silence that can lead to depth and deeper connection. Compare, for example, the amount of silence in random small talk versus the amount of silence in deeper conversations. Then there is manipulative silence, strategic silence. Think, for example, of silence and negotiations. They often say, who speaks first loses, which may or may not be true exactly. Silence and negotiations can be powerful. Such silence can also lead us to pay attention, creating a sense of expectation or alertness. Then there is wise silence, and this may take any number of forms. One example may simply be giving people who need it more time to process and formulate their thoughts. So allowing silence in conversation here can be very powerful and useful. Then there is avoidant silence whether we are avoiding speaking our truth, avoiding facing a situation, avoiding naming something that is calling out to be named. There is angry silence, where we are so consumed with our anger and our feelings that we are unable to speak, or perhaps unwilling to verbalize for fear of the consequences. Then there is companionable silence, which I've spoken about already. Uncomfortable silence. Habitual silence that may have formed as a sort of withdrawal from the world or from relationships, from engagement. 
I suppose there could also be habitual silence that has a more positive tone because the holder of the silence is so deeply comfortable with silence and doesn't need to communicate with words. In fact, that kind of silence offers deep comfort and communication. There is intimate silence, the silence of knowing someone at a deep level far beyond the personality. There is healing silence, in which presence may also be at play. Think of the power of sitting with someone who is sick or upset or in grief. It is often our silent, empathic presence in these circumstances that is more powerful than our words and more welcome than our words. And there is, of course, noble silence. Thich Nhat Hanh, the famous Buddhist monk and activist and poet, said of noble silence, it promotes understanding and compassion. So silence can play out in many ways in relationships. It may have a variety of tones or emotional expressions or forms, and context can matter. In addition to context, culture and personality can affect our experience of silence. In fact, there is research that indicates that it takes only four seconds for people to feel uncomfortable with silence. Now, this is particularly true for English speakers. A different study found that Japanese people were happy with silences of eight seconds, which is twice as long as that for Americans in business meetings. What about you? How much silence in a conversation can you tolerate? That was about four seconds. And that was about eight seconds. In some cultures, there is a tendency to wait for silence to speak out of respect or style, or the way a person was brought up. And of course, personality tendencies, whether they are an extrovert or introvert, whether they are a conflict avoider or otherwise, or someone that's anxious to please, or someone that's just anxious in general, all of these factors can affect a person's comfort or discomfort with silence in conversation. Silence in conversation although it is powerful, can also be misinterpreted. Researchers, in fact, found that in the context of courtrooms, if somebody was giving a testimony and waited too long before they spoke, then the jury may have suspected them of being about to lie. So the intention and the effect of silence does vary. So silence speaks a thousand words, but how we interpret or feel in that silence may well be a function of our inner state and our stories and past experiences of silence, conditioned by 
the cultures and the contexts that we've grown up in and experienced and lived and worked in. For many of us, there can be great joy in silence. But it is important to remember that for some, silence can be scary. Sedataphobia is the fear of silence. And it's an increasingly common phobia, even though it was relatively unheard of um, half a century ago. I wonder if this is a function of our increasingly noisy world. Assuming you aren't afraid of silence, just perhaps uncomfortable with it at times, what would make you more comfortable with silence? Even though I have a reputation for asking powerful questions, questions aren't my only tool. And in fact, silence may sometimes be more powerful than questions in my coaching practice. For example, after I've asked a question, the key sometimes is to hold silence long enough for people to move beyond their first or even their second answer and start speaking from a different place of being, one that is increasingly true and present. In doing so, they may well get to the core of their issue on their own, or at the very least, find and articulate the deeper question that is arising with them, the one that is more likely to guide them forward to allow them to process what's wanting to be processed, or even to fire up their imagination and creativity and live into an answer. So while questions remain one of the cornerstones of my coaching practice, I keep wondering if one day I will be able to coach without saying a word. So what about you? Where might silence be impeding the quality of your connections? And where might silence enrich your conversations and deepen your relationships? Thank you for listening and reflecting. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review over at lovethepodcast.com forward slash contemplative dash edge. And be sure to share this podcast with people you know that might enjoy it. And of course, let me know what this podcast prompted for you by finding me on Twitter at Rashmir, R-A-S-H-M-I-R. Last but not least, remember to slow down, go within, reflect and contemplate so that you can create change from the inside out.